Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 65, our Sonics Holiday Gift Guide. So the Christmas season is here, and this might be a good time to brush up on your Christmas list. So we put together a few items that we think would be great gift ideas, either to enhance your building and flying, to possibly drop hints to your friends and family about suggestions on what to get you for Christmas, or maybe that special thing that you just want to give to yourself because, hey, you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, you deserve it. And I've been good this year. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me once again are my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary Motley's a longtime pilot, a former CFI, and apparently he's been very good this year. Gary, how's it going? Not very good. I always know he's got pictures to contra, contra, uh, contradict that anyway. No, it's doing fine. Doing uh, fine. Gary, I got video at Oshkosh to contradict that. Oh, well, there's always that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're doing well up here. We're starting to get some weather that came in. Um, Sunday, I went out and pulled the plane out about 7.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there, just cranking up, and all of a sudden, the plane starts to rock. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, switched to eight of this real quiz, and they were, they were gusting up to like 30 knots. So ended up shutting down, shoving it back in the hangar. Got one of the motorcycles out and started heading up to the mountains, and lo and behold, one of the signs that there says caution, wind gust up to 50 miles an hour. <laughs> So it was kind of an interesting ride for a while, but and then I got about a foot or so or more of snow today, and it's just been um, wonderful weather. Yeah, it's time to put the uh, the bobsled out and uh, tuck the plane away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny when when you're getting ready to go fly like that, and um, weather changes abruptly or a gust front moves in. I always find myself thinking. I don't know whether I had really good luck or really bad luck. Bad luck in that I didn't get to go fly today, or good luck in that it happened right now and not in 10 minutes when I'm in the air. Well, that's true, yeah. Once you get airborne, you start having those kind of gusts, and if they're not lined up with a runway, it gets to be a little problematic some days. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, good. Uh, I'm sure you'll uh, have plenty to keep you busy until the snow melts. Yeah. Well, and John Gillis. John is currently converting his legacy YX to a new B model, and uh, the rumors are flying. John, uh, what's the latest on the rumor mill? Well, the rumor is I'm no longer actively converting. The uh, the Super B is in the air. It's buzzing. Very good. Very good. So uh, I, know, uh, I know you're going to have to flesh this out over the next few flights, but we got to have your initial impressions. How'd the first flight go? What what it feel like? What's on the uh, the to-do list? All that stuff. Um, you know, first flight, um, you know, I did a real thorough, at least I thought I did a real thorough uh, pre-flight, uh, basically an annual inspection, everything to get it all buttoned up, got all the documentation in order. Uh, that same Sunday that Gary got chased off because of the, the spooky wind up at his airport, we were pretty light um, down here in central Colorado. Um, lined it up, did a big run up on it. Uh, everything was checking out. Had a few butterflies in my stomach as I uh, pushed the 
the throttle forward and rolled down, down the runway. But, you know, it all kind of just felt, felt, fell back in. You know, it's been almost a year since I've flown the Sonics. And um, she took off. She climbed out good. I uh, took her up to 10,000 AGL uh, or uh, MSL, about uh, 3,000 feet above my airport, and just orbited for about an hour. Um, checking out all the metrics on the, uh, the engine and and troubleshooting some of my uh, my avionics that seem to have uh, not done well over the winter. So I've got a I've got a punch list of squawks I got to go through. I hope you remember that bolt I pointed out to you. <laughs> you know I forgot about that bolt, but this is the other one that that fell out. You know on the runway that I'm worried about. You know, John, it's not a big deal. That's why they give you two wing bolts, you know. So one of them will hold the wings in place, I'm sure. You know, I figure with all the bolts I put in that thing, I could lose at least 20%. (laughs) Yeah, they're just factory spares anyway, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So how did the handling feel? I know, you you know, you really didn't change the wing at all, but did you feel anything with the uh, the different profile on the nose? Well, you know, my problem is I've been flying so many different kind of aircraft in the last year. Um, you know, I, I tow for the, the club in a Pawnee, which has a, a distinct heavy feel. I've been flying, I don't know, six different gliders in the club, and then I bought my own high-performance glider. So I've been dealing with very light controls. I felt the Sonics was a little heavier in, hmm. in, in what I remember, but I think it's just a, a perception thing. Yeah. Well, like you say, it's been almost a year or so. You know, your your memory sort of fades a little bit. So, yeah. Well, at his age, too, it's, it's muscle wasted away as well. So he's probably just <laughs> a little weak over. Well, you know, there is that, Gary. But, you know, there's also, you know, just the whole memory loss like you have. <laughs> Dementia makes every day a new adventure. Yeah. yeah I mean, every, every day I go out and I go, wow, that's neat. So I'm always <laughs> excited. It's like, having, you know, the goldfish thing. <laughs> all right good so um you, you mentioned squawks what's on the squawk list uh let's see um my mgl radio kept uh, crapping out on me i was, I was hearing everybody in the pattern uh we were having glo- or, uh, glider operations and so i had another buddy out in, in the pawnee and i was ch- chatting with him and then suddenly the the radio would just go dead and i'd have to restart it you know, basically powered off, powered on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea why. Which model My, do you have, John? I have the MGL V6. Okay. The um, the ammeter or the uh, I was once I got it up to where uh, the RPMs were charging the system, it's spiked over 15 volts, which it's never done before. So I'm not sure if I have the voltage regulator. There's something wrong with it, or I, I miswired it. So that's that, another squawk I got to chase down. Yeah, that that could just be just a tiniest bit of corrosion on your alternator pigtail terminals where they plug into your regulator, and it might be just yeah. wiggling them up and getting some some juice flowing through them. We'll we'll take care of that. Yeah, I'm just going to go re you know just trace everything again. Um, by the time I put the plane away on Sunday, that wind had come up that Gary had experienced, and it was just like, okay, it's time just go have a beer and enjoy my day. Yeah, well, so haven't really. Great first flight. If you were able to spend an hour up there, I think that was a pretty successful first flight. Uh, and the other, you know, other options or other issues, um, my CHTs were very low. I mean, I never got them above 200 degrees. But my oil temperature went up 
close to 240, 245. And it was a cool day, but I had never seen my oil temps go that high. Now I have a brand new cowl. I have all new uh, ducting. Uh, and I haven't quite figured out that. So, that, you know, that's another one that's just going to be tweaking over time. Yeah. I'm basically back in phase one. So yeah, um, this is where I was six years ago when I did first flight. Yeah. Well, that oil temperature thing could have been something as simple as a seal that just flapped out of position or something. Yeah, correct. EGTs were good. The engine ran like a top. The uh, I had balanced the prop the previous weekend, and it was smooth as glass. So, Well, good. That That is uh, not a bad uh, outcome, even if you do have a few squawks to – like you say, every first flight you're going to have a list of squawks you got to chase down. So this is no worse than uh, anybody else would have to experience. So congratulations uh, on a on a fairly smooth return to service. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll get my confidence back and everything, and and it'll be back the way it was a year ago when I took it apart. Well, if you uh, if you get a little nervous, just remember you can always just kill the engine and dead stick it in. That way you'll fall right back into the comfort zone. You know, and that that was in my back of my mind. You know, I'm flying over my air park where I do my glider work, and I was always within glide slope, even in the Sonics, the entire time. It's like I can put this baby down, you know, with precision on the runway. So yeah, that, that <laughs> actually was my <laughs> that was my favorite part of of doing the glider training was was really getting to that level of proficiency. To you know, you have the confidence that. As long as you do your homework in the pattern and, and you know keep your landing spot in mind, that um, you don't have the sense of dread that you're going to come up in the weeds, that you're going to be able to get it back and plan it. And you know exactly where to expect it. Well, one of the, the standards for a commercial glider is you have to land within 100 feet or within 10 feet of your uh, declared landing spot. And so, uh, you know, when you're with the inspector, they go, where's the wall? Where, where cannot you pass? And you have to stop that glider within 10 feet of it and drop the wing. And so that that that's what I would do with the Sonics, even if I dropped the engine. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put it right where I want it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, very good. All right, guys. Well, why don't we jump right into this? Um, so this is uh, no guest this episode, but we have... We have a, a list of, oh, a couple dozen items here. These are all things that the three of us, and we're going to get a little help from some listeners at the end that submitted items for consideration. These are things that, that we have used, bought, purchased, um, uh, lusted after, perhaps. I don't know. Drooled um, on, bled Yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> but these are things that, that we think are, are great aspects to add to your building, your flying, and uh, things you might want to use on your airplane. So we're going to cover them kind of in that order. Accessories that you might want to consider for your plane. Flight gear for you to enhance your flying experience. And then tools to make your building experience more pleasant and efficient when you're actually working on that project. So with no more further ado, in no particular order, here we go. So the first item is uh, all of our favorite. It's the Koger Sunshade. So Koger makes a, a line of sunshades. They actually make one they call the Sonic Special, or you can get the Small Universal. But uh, the Koger Sunshade is the little curtain that you stick on to the, the inside of the upper surface of your canopy, and it has um, some little wire bows on that hold the curtain up against it, and you can slide it forward to block the sun out, slide it back when you want to have good visibility, and these things are great. 
Now, John, did, did you put one of these in your new canopy? Actually, I bought one at Oshkosh. It's not in the new canopy yet. It is sitting on my shelf. But yes, it will go in. Yeah. Absolute okay. requirement for, uh, for comfort. Right. And, and we've talked about this uh, before a couple of different times. This is one of those things where before I put one in, I thought, yeah, that's a neat item. It's a little bit pricey. You know, they're a couple hundred bucks. It's a little pricey. That seems maybe a little bit more than I want to spend. I'm going to go with a lower cost option. And there certainly are effective lower cost options. But having having installed the Koger, I really, really like it. And yeah, it's a little pricier than, you know, than maybe I wanted. But I couldn't imagine going back without it. The convenience, it works really well. It's nice to be able to get it completely out of the way and not have to fidget with anything. It's just a super accessory. It's on the top of my list for accessories, you know, for the plane. Yeah, yeah it makes you feel like aircraft. a million bucks. <laughs> yeah, they're worthwhile. I'll put them in two different aircraft and they're a necessity, I believe. Okay, so another item on my list. Hey, wait, wait. Do you guys hear that? I hear, I hear something. Reindeer. It sounds like reindeer. Ho, ho, reindeer. ho. Who is that? Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> it's Santa Claus, Captain Mike. That's right. How you doing? Straight I'm, from Vegas. I'm voice bombing you. I, I'm checking to see who's naughty and nice. Yeah, well, you have found the right party if you're looking for that crowd. Probably the naughty side, I would think. Well, you know, yeah. We're the, we're the people that try to bring balance to all the good boys and girls. There so. we go. That's what we, <laughs> that's what we aim to please. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. So um, we just started our list, and um, but before we get back to the list, um, we have to hear what is going on uh, oh. in Vegas. I mean, because you, you live the life of an international man of mystery. What's going on in Mike's world? I went down. I went down to Boulder City Airport today and went flying. It's like fifty degrees, no wind. I mean, I just had a nice day. Oh, very, very, very pleasant. I know. I, I know you guys are yeah. under storms and snow and stuff, but. It's been real yeah, pleasant. Yeah, we were commiserating at our snow and, and low overcast, and you're over there rubbing it in our faces that you have beautiful weather. Well, it's going to change because uh, it's supposed to be Thursday and Friday. It's supposed to be really bad here. so It's going to get down to like 49, huh? Yeah, something like that. But it's supposed to be raining all day long, so it's you know, <laughs> crappy and stuff like that. So Anyhow, no, wow. I just, that, that no flying cool. in Vegas. I know. That's scary. Oh, I'm flying. I'm going to work later. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the West Coast and check out the next storm coming in. Well, yeah, Mike's been all his time at the chicken ranch, anyway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's too far of a drive. I can fly over there, though. Well, you know, he 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 doesn't he doesn't <laughs> shop there routinely. He just comes in for some stocking stuffers, if you know what I mean. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Okay, so I know you have I know you have all these uh, these good idea um, uh, gift guide ideas oh, off the top of your head, of course. So uh, think about your favorite, and then be ready to jump in when we uh, when we run down our list. And actually, you can talk about this next item on the list, Uh-oh. and that is electric seat warmers. For oh your yeah, yeah. So so we know now if you're living in Vegas, maybe these aren't as uh, as valuable as you know if you're living in Kansas City or. You know, or something like that. But, um, Mike, tell us about electric seat warmers. Uh, well, you could probably tell them better than I could. But <laughs> we uh, uh, actually uh, several years ago, uh, they were an off market. Uh, we, we instead of putting, uh, I, I ride, I fly in the middle most of the time, so uh, the Bubba style. So 
we just put one uh, one seat, you know, warmer in the back and one in the in the rear end area. And with a high low aftermarket switch, and uh, did Jeff so help me do? And uh, it works awful. I mean, uh, with those, it's worked. Oh, yeah. It actually works yeah, right. awesome. Uh, you know, the other thing about it is I still have to wear like when I was flying with John a couple times going to Reclaw. We had to. Uh, I was up so high, I had to wear a pair of gloves for my throttle quadrant. But everywhere else in the airplane was nice, was pleasant, very pleasant. And we were we were probably down to twenty degrees, fifteen twenty degrees at altitude. So yeah. yeah, that was a cold trip down to Reclaw. It was it was damp and cold. Yes. Like, you know, right at freezing. The whole way, yeah, and it was they were it worked awesome. I mean, actually, the the high actually, I have to turn it off. I can't leave it on very long. Uh, I have to leave it on low if I leave it anywhere. So, yeah, very good idea. Well, for everyone who's uh, who's wondering about this, um, you can get universal electric seat warmer kits off of places like Amazon. They're anywhere from maybe thirty dollars for a single seat. That's a pair. That's a a seat bottom and a seat back makes a, a pair. And uh, to uh, maybe fifty or sixty dollars for a dual seat kit comes with everything you need. It comes with both the warming pads, all the wiring, the relays, the switches, and literally all you have to do is just connect it to power and ground. Find some place to mount your your little toggle high low switch, and that's it. it. It's a piece of cake. On low they draw three amps typically, and on high they draw five amps, and that's per seat. So even if you use both seats on on high, you're looking at ten amps. If you have a reasonably efficient panel, you can run. Um, you can run one of these seats without worry about running out of electrical capacity on your uh, alternator. They're super easy to install. You just sort of peel back your cushion, uh, separate it from the foam, slide these seat warmers right in. They have little self-adhesive uh, perimeter strips on them. Stick them down to the inside of the seat cushion, zip them back up, and, and you're good to go. So, one of the best upgrades, especially if you do have those chilly mornings. And, um, and you don't already have some sort of cabin heat installed, which on our AeroVs and Jabiru's is kind of tough because of the lack of a really good spot for a heat muff. So, yeah, electric seat warmers. Check them out on Amazon. And we'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes as well. Unless you have a B model, right? <laughs> well, you know, one of the other things, Jeff, real quick. If you use that space foam memory foam as your bottom seat and it's cold out, that stuff is rock hard until your butt heats it up. But these seat warmers preheat it, so it's nice and spongy. Right, right. And actually, John, I think you mentioned this, um, that when you're pre-flighting the airplane, you you have it on the charger and you turn on your seat warmers so that while you're preheating the engine, you're preheating the cockpit too? Um, absolutely. That's a great idea. And your battery charger is topping everything off. So, yeah, that's uh, that's living the high life right there. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, and then uh, I guess um, this talk about, you know, drooling over those, you know, choice accessories. I put this one on there because it's still on my Christmas list. It's been on there for a long time. And maybe Santa will bring me one this year. Probably not. And that is a brand new carbon fiber Prince P-tip prop. Ooh. Nice. Well, a Christmas gift. You've got to be I know. really nice for that. I, I will go out and get an extra large stocking, and they can slide that in there. But I, I, I I'm not going to hold my breath. You might need to do a little more than that for for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so everybody knows, you know, the Prince props. You know, we did a show on him. Lonnie Prince is an awesome guy. He is a stand-up businessman, and he makes a wonderful prop. And if you're looking for a uh, just a 
a really good looking, durable prop that is going to give you uh, excellent performance. And we have tested this out. Uh, I've told this story before, but um, on on my airplane, I put my Sensenic on and I flew it. And then I took John's P-tip and like the next day and put that on and I flew them pretty much back to back. And what I found is that the, the Prince prop had just a hair, a hair less rate of climb, but it had 10 miles an hour extra on the top end. And to me, that's a wonderful trade-off. If you can pick up 10 miles an hour for just a very, very small sacrifice in rate of climb, that's a pretty good deal. So when you look at it like that, you know, if you're going to be doing a lot of long distance, you know, like Jim Hickey, he talked about he put a new prince on his when he was getting ready to do another one of his long cross countries. That helped pay for the prop right there just in getting him from point A to point B across the country quicker and burning less gas. Or if you fly with a gang of hooligans that like to berate you for how slow you're flying, it's worth it for your own sanity to be able to keep up with them, John. (laughs) I thought he only did that to me. You know, even with with your sense and itch, you could have done that with Gary. (laughs) (laughs) And he always did it to me, so. (laughs) Yeah. And we both had princes. He He just pulled right away from me, you know. All right, next up. Next okay, up. next up. Yep, next up. All right, I, I, I put this on here because, Gary, uh, I know you're with me here, and that is ditch the little tires and put on the big wheels. Oh, yeah, go for the big boys. All right, so when we talk about big wheels on a Sonics, what are we talking about, Gary? <laughs> a monster 5x5. Five five. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. I put a set on my on my Sonics, too, and... And that, as far as as far as shoes, that was an excellent upgrade. I enjoyed it much better. Uh, not only, um, well, in many respects, actually, you know, I I, I I like the stance of the aircraft when it's sitting on the ground. It kind of gives you the fake P fifty one. I mean, it really jacks that nose way up. And now you start thinking about doing S turns as you go down the taxiway. Uh, just like when we go from those little dinky four inch to the six inch tail wheels. Uh, those five by fives on the on the asphalt and, and the pavements really starts to smooth out the ruts and the potholes, um, and that was a valuable uh, asset. And then, of course, when I finally started hitting some soft field with it, what a huge difference! Uh, when I had the stock tires, basically I was hitting full power trying to get through the grass at Oshkosh, uh, and sometimes I still had to get out and kind of push this thing back and forth. Putting the five by fives on there just kind of solved all those issues, and uh, so I highly recommend them. Uh, I highly recommend scratching the wheel pants that we've talked about before. I know that's a personal preference, uh, but go for them. Yeah, and uh, putting five by fives on there, uh, it really doesn't require that much effort. So the standard wheel pants, you might have to do a little bit of modification, and um, it, you have to kind of cut them and kind of stretch them on the bottom a little bit. Um, but it's not hard to do. And even if you have it already done and flying and painted, you can still do that with minimal refinishing. So it's not a lot of work to convert them. They're not that much heavier. So you don't have to worry about paying a big weight penalty on them and they wear great. And so, you know, you're going to get hundreds of landings on a set of five by fives. And so, yeah, they cost twice as much, but, um, the benefits, and we say twice as much, we're talking about twice as much as like 30 bucks a tire. So, you know, you're paying 60 or 70 bucks a tire. It's a. It opens up options on grass runways that are perhaps not quite as smooth 
as you would like. They haven't been rolled recently. You don't have to worry about necessarily catching a little rut or a gopher hole or something like that. And so it gives you the confidence to go into some of these areas. We're not talking about landing on a, you know, on a, on a no runway situation, but just something that's less than perfect. You don't got to worry about it. You can go in there and operate without any problem. So on my airplane, I use um, McCreary Airhawk 500 by 5. These are just kind of your generic uh, light aircraft tire. You can get them from Aircraft Spruce. They're, I think they're about 65 or 70 bucks a tire. And then yeah, I pair that with an Aero Classics Leak Guard inner tube. And unfortunately, the tubes on these things are as expensive as the tires, and they're about 65 or 70 bucks for the tubes, too. But the tubes, again, they, they last a good long time. So yeah, that's just a couple hundred odd bucks thing, isn't it? Yeah, the tubes are as much as the tires, but anyway. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. So moving on. Um, so for things that, you know, accessory-wise, things that you might want to put on there just to go out and goof off and have some fun, I think a smoke system might be a good accessory. So Sonics at one time sold a smoke system with a with pump and a tank and all that, and that's what I have in my airplane. And I have enjoyed using that in the past. Haven't done a whole lot recently, but I, I plan to get back on it. Uh, but one of our good friends, Vince Homer, he wrote that article in Kit Planes for the $200 smoke system. And he has a full price list and instructions on how to build this. And it's all stuff from like McMaster Car and uh, how he... It shows you exactly how where to locate the injectors. And even if you don't want to drill a, an injector into your exhaust pipe, he shows you how you can run your, your tubing up inside the pipe and, um, and you don't have to drill a hole at all. So if you're thinking smoke system, but you're not quite sure, you don't want to spend a lot and you want to kind of try it out, go check out Vince Homer's article. Unfortunately, it is a Kit Planes article and they don't have online archives that are available unless you're a Kit Planes print subscriber. So um, you may have to hit up a buddy with a, with a subscription, but you can get on there and download that article and, and go build yourself a pretty nice little smoke system. All right, then we got a few other items here. These are kind of rounding out the little goodies. Uh, some of the stuff tends to get overlooked on your plane, but in the convenience category, you know, you're really going to want to make flying, especially when you're having to travel and power up all your accessories, you're going to want to make that convenient and easy and uh, accessible. And so think about where you're going to put your cigarette lighters and then think about how you're going to charge up all those goodies. So Gary, what did you do and and what do you recommend in the realm of power to your accessories? Yeah, I did send you a link for that. Uh, and, you know, you can get these power, these 12 volt power uh, outlets in either a regular cigarette lighter style or a USB style. Uh, but sports fans, I'm going to recommend to you that you just go with the standard cigarette lighter style. And the reason I say is that is because it actually gives you more options to it. You may actually have to plug in something like a cigarette lighter style charger, say for your, your handheld radios or something along those, along those lines. But also, again, for all the stuff that requires a USB port, uh, you know, the power outputs of those start changing over periods of time, depending on what your, your item you're trying to charge is. And if you install one of those 12-volt outlets that already is a self-contained USB, you may find that they're under-amped and they will not power and recharge the devices that you really want to use them for. So I recommend just putting in the standard 12 volts, uh, and I actually recommend that you hotwire those to the battery system so you don't have to power anything up. And that way, if you're parked someplace, you can just plug in your stuff. And then you get a stubby. You can get these uh, USB power ports that fit inside those cigarette letter styles uh, that are flush mounted. You can get them either as a single or as a dual USB outlet. 
and you can get them in significant amperages, even right now, that'll power anything that you need to plug up, whether it's an iPad or iPhone or, or almost any other device. So uh, think about those. Think about more than one. Think about hot wiring them to your battery and then just getting your uh, USB adapters uh, that you plug then into the cigarette lighter style. Right. And um, if you put a cigarette lighter plug on either side of the cockpit, so, you know, one for passenger accessories and one for pilot, you can put them in the, the corner of the panel. You can put them in the little corner braces that, that come off of the panel. You can put them in the glare shield vertically so um, you can keep them out of the way. There's all kinds of options, and that'll give you plenty of power on both sides for tablets and, like you say, uh, handheld chargers for radios and things like that. And um, you're never going to regret having plenty of easy 12-volt cigarette lighter access. Absolutely. But if you only put one in or you don't do anything, it's only a matter of time before you're having to go back in and retrofit it. Or you're fighting over just the one outlet. Right. And your typical cigarette lighter outlet is going to be good for uh, probably about 10 amps. You know, they, they may rate them, you know, between 5 or 7 or 10. But um, typically, if you get a good one, and we put a link to one that's, that's pretty decent, you're going to be able to draw 10 amps through that cigarette lighter outlet. That's way more than even your high output dual plug adapter is going to draw. So you're not going to overheat this thing. And if you need to use it for something more robust, like a mattress inflator or something like that, you'll have plenty of juice for it. And they're inexpensive. You can probably get them for less than 10 bucks. Alrighty, so we'll put links to a cigarette lighter and a USB uh, charger adapter on there. These are the ones that, uh, that Gary recommended, and uh, they're inexpensive and they have good reviews, so you can check them out. All right, Gary, uh, you sent one other electrical-related item, and that was a fuse block. So tell us about about this recommendation for the fuse block. Well, uh, this is based on my own personal philosophy now. When I first built my first plane, I used uh, switchable uh, circuit breakers, which in other words, they were dual purpose switch, uh, switch as well as a circuit breaker. Uh, in my last build, I went from needing just a, you know, a handful of circuit breakers to over 30. Um, I was just not willing to allocate panel space or anything else for 30 circuit breakers. Uh, that being said, and also I'm, I'm really no longer a fan of trying to troubleshoot electronics uh, while you're actually flying. So the ability to reach over and reset a circuit breaker that blew for some particular reason is not high on my list of to-do items. Um, so this is by uh, Blue Sea. It's actually a marine company, I think, that makes a lot of products. It's an integrated circuit breaker, or fuse blocks, I should say. They use the automotive-style twin pin or twin blade. Uh, fuses. But what I particularly like about this brand is that it gives you integrated uh, positive and negative grounding plates to it. Uh, so you feed in one pretty good size to the positive side, and then you have a choice of either six or 12. I, I use the 12s uh, as far as uh, fused uh, power relays to power whatever uh, avionics, electronics, fans, motors, whatever, what have you. And then it also, on the other side of that, gives you all the grounding space for those. And then you run a nice big ground, one big ground from this block back to your uh, negative part of your battery. Uh, so it tidies things up. It makes it all centrally located. Uh, it does have a, have a couple of spots for spare fuses if you were so inclined to try to do something under the dash while you're flying with fuses. Um, but I, I, I used uh, at least two of those as well as a couple other fuse blocks trying to get... Uh, all the power I needed in my latest plane. And so I, I, I like the simplicity and 
and uh, ease of use. And they're inexpensive. They were, uh, what was the price in that, Jeff? About 35 bucks or something like that for one of those fuses? Well, if you get the, if you get the big one, it's up to about a hundred dollars. Um, but that's the deluxe one with the cover and the spare fuse holders and the 12 position and all that. They started about 30. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. <coughs> Some of those uh, principal circuit breakers are, are get to be pretty pricey by themselves. And if you end up a bunch of those, you're going to spend some significant money as well. Yeah. And, and these are definitely um, a great way to go. You know, if, you, if you're a reader of the Aero Electric Connection and Bob Knuckles' book, you know, he is a, a big proponent of using fuses rather than circuit breakers. There's time where circuit breakers are convenient and appropriate, but there's a lot of times where you're never going to use that unless something has gone really, really wrong. So why take up acres of panel space with circuit breakers you're never going to actually actuate? Um, use a fuse block. They're highly reliable. They're inexpensive. And um, they out just, of the way. Uh, yeah, exactly. Out of the way. So take a look at those. All right, Mike, I know you have your favorite accessory, and um, what is it? <laughs> Round out our, our uh, accessory portion of our gift guide here. Accessory portion? I was thinking more something for the panel, but because uh, I missed the beginning uh, of this. That's uh, okay. Uh, give us it. Give us it. You know, Isaac took my 50% coupon. <laughs> he, <laughs> he won it two years in a row for Grand Rapids, and that would have been my, uh, you know, that's like my future choice for the, to replace an MGL that I have in there, older one. So that yeah, Mike sport- Nephis is not an accessory. That's a big component. So that's a big. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, short of heat, and uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think what else I would have put in there. Uh, what, what about those little HUDs everybody's talking about? Little heads-up display. I, I think in another year or two, that's going to be a, a real thing that people are, are really using, not just a sort of a cutting-edge thing. Yeah. So maybe we're a little bit a little bit early to start now. Yeah, that's what we need is another distraction in the cockpit. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> you know what? You look right through those things, you don't even know they're there because I use one for <laughs> my work. But you know, it's it's uh, and when you need it, it's great to have. So. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, if you think of something else, so I will. We'll circle I'll pipe back. Up. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition over to. Items that you're going to use mostly in flight. These are things that are going to enhance your flying experience when you're in the cockpit, you know, going out and doing stuff. So the first thing, John, you put this on the list, and that was a carbon monoxide monitor that you can put in the cockpit. So tell us about that. Well, you know, I always had that little card with the little uh, aspirin tab in it that would turn black when you're going to die. Um, and <laughs> right I thought that die. was, that's going to save me. Uh, but then on our trip to Oshkosh, Gary had a little handheld CO2 detector and it constantly read and gave you back a digital number of the parts per million or billions or whatever it is of CO2 in the air and you could move yeah. it around in the cockpit. And so when we had our exhaust problem on our way back, that thing, I think, saved our bacon because it told us, no, we have to land. And we have to deal with this. We cannot continue. And so it's in my Amazon cart right now. I'm going to buy it for myself for Christmas, um, and I'll be flying it in my Sonics. It's 100 bucks. Yeah. And, Gary, the, the one, the link that you sent me, I think, is the one that you use, um, and that is the Toxin 3, which is the um, the cockpit monitor, um, about 150 
And I think that, um, Gary, you made this point when we talked about it the first time, is that if you have a hardwired one, that's great. But a, a portable one that you can move around, you can use it to kind of troubleshoot where is it entering the cockpit and what can I do to improve the state, you know, while I'm in the air, if you're trying to buy yourself a few more minutes while you get back onto the runway. Absolutely. You know, actually, I posted a YouTube video not long ago, too, that actually demonstrated the effects of this uh, based on even your vent positions in your cockpit and whether or not you have a, a, a negative pressure cockpit, neutral or positive pressure and the effects of the carbon monoxide at various levels, uh, you know, based at uh, where the stick is, aft fuselage panel and so forth. Um, so I'm, I'm a real firm believer in them now. And if anybody wants to look up that YouTube video, just go to my channel. It's basically GW Motley number one and look for something that says carbon monoxide testing in a Zenith. And, uh, you know, I show you kind of firsthand as it goes along, uh, just how effective they can be for troubleshooting, especially when they're handheld. Right. And John, uh, it's the same thing. It is on my Christmas list and I will probably pick myself up one here. Um, it, right now, all I have is that little stick on uh, detector dot. And those cards are good for 12 months or 18 months or whatever they say. And, or one, um, ex- never... one excess of uh, carbon monoxide. You don't know when it happened. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's true. And so they're, they're kind of better than nothing. At, that, at least that's what I thought forever. But now I begin to think, you know, maybe that is just leading to a false sense of security. It doesn't, re- doesn't respond quick enough to really allow you to make a good decision to escape the conditions. And um, it doesn't really actively alert you if things are, are going wrong. So by the time you realize it, you may already be impaired. Jeff, could you put a link of that video onto our Sonics podcast for people to look at? I will do that. Okay, great. That's you're just trying also. to run up your YouTube numbers. Gary. Yeah, that's it. We know you're just one of those YouTube guys. He wants to get that <laughs> advertising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great idea, though. I'm gonna. It's in my cart, too, actually, right now. Yeah. Oh. And uh, John, if you have, um, send me the link for the one that that you're thinking about buying, and I'll put that one in here as well. Yeah, I just texted it to you. Okay. And right. and uh, you know they're they're right between you know seventy and two hundred dollars um, on Amazon. The ones that are on Amazon, they claim they're for anybody that does you know the pilots to uh, truck drivers, firemen, all this. Um, do your own due diligence. But I think, you know, anything like that is going to be valuable. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, the uh, the thing that I like to fly with the most, um, and this, this we picked these up at Oshkosh a couple years ago, and that is the Quiet Technologies Halo headsets. These are the little skinny headband that you wear with the little in-ear earplugs that you put actually in your ear canals, and they feed the audio directly in. Those things are wonderful. They are so effective. They work great with the MGL radio, which I can say that a lot of the less refined passive headsets don't work as well with the MGL. These halos, they work great. They block out a lot of exterior noise. And the best thing, they do not contact your canopy bow. They take no room at all, and they stay on in all kinds of aerobatics and everything. They're just a great, great headset for flying in the Sonics. John, are you still flying yours? You know, actually, I've... Um when I uh, started towing for the, the glider club, I needed a set of active um, uh, noise reduction headset for the Pawnee. It is such a uh-huh. noisy beast that I went ahead and bought a, uh, the uh, light speeds, and I really like them. And so the, uh, 
my quiet technology headset I now keep in my glider because I like it for the microphone. You know, just hooks on my head. I don't even put the earpieces in. I just listen on the radio, you know, on the through the speaker. But uh, it works great through the glider. Mm-hmm. Well, one year John and I, one year John and I were in Oshkosh, and we had the the ear molds made for the Quiet Technologies headset. And uh, so I kind of go back and forth between those and light speed. So sometimes I'll get tired of wearing something on my head, and I'll just go to the. Uh, uh, you take that. Quiet Technologies, uh, there's, instead of those little foam pieces, you pay like 100 bucks, and the guy at Oshkosh comes and, and does a nice ear mold for you, both both ears. Yeah. Well, what I really uh, became a big fan of the in-ear style was um, you know flying in the south in the summertime where it is blazing hot and the ear cups pressing on the side of your head, you know, you start to get really hot and really sweaty and that thing starts sliding all over your head, especially if you're doing any sort of maneuvering. And that is just not a problem with the quiet technologies. And so I really, really enjoy that. I don't think I'll go back to an over-the-ear unless I need that extra protection like what you're talking about, John. All right, well, you can find those. Uh, you can get them directly from quiet technologies or if you happen to arrive uh, at the big hangar early in the week at Oshkosh. You can usually find them on um, uh, Air Venture Special, but you got to get there quick because they always sell out every year, like on the second or third day, they're they're gone. All right, uh, Gary, um, I know we are both fans of Seattle Avionics, and uh, they, they always do some really good, either inexpensive apps, data packages, or EFBs. So let's talk about our favorite things from Seattle Avionics. Well, I hope we can get this thing published quick enough for people to take advantage of it because I did get the link, uh, email link today that I forwarded to you. Um, Seattle Avionics makes, uh, makes a, a product called FlyQ. Uh, originally, I think they were, they were tag-teaming with AOPA doing their electronic flight books there for, for a while, too. They have split uh, company on that aspect of it. Uh, but Seattle Avionics is kind of like the, the, the third guy, but they're much more quiet and not, not quite as well known for some reason. You know, we think of Jeppesen, we think of Garmin now these days, our, fly, our four flight, and maybe in some respects Garmin. Uh, but S- Seattle Avionics makes a lot of database information available for a lot of different companies, more so than anybody else. Uh, they're not uh, trademark related to just one specific company. Uh, they make uh, they can make software that will integrate with not only electronic flight books like with your iPads, their own separate product there. Uh, they also provide uh, all the aviation databases formatted for Dynon and they do it for King Avionics. Uh, I think they do some stuff for Aspen. I think they do stuff for GRT. Uh, the list kind of goes on and on and on. And usually about this time of the year, the Black Friday kind of stuff, and I think actually they're doing it a little bit earlier this year even. Uh, they'll offer a remarkable price uh, for lifetime subscriptions. Even their normal base subscriptions are usually half price what almost every other vendor out there has for electronic flight books. Uh, but these uh, Turkey Day uh, specials are something to certainly gobble up if you're ever thinking about it. You know, if you tried them before, you didn't like them as I did on my first go around. They came back out with their second version and now they're on their fourth version. Uh, I really, really like the software so much better than anything else I used. And I've been a lifetime subscription uh, member now for several years, and I'm still just as happy now as before. And, uh, you know, because I fly Dynon as well, I can use the same software between my uh, 
electronic flight book as well as my Dynon, and I'm set for life for VFR and IFR. Uh, it's a great deal, and I, I think if anybody gave them a serious uh, uh, appraisal, they'd, they'd be happy, especially for the price point. Yeah. Well, and for people that are not really familiar with, with the types of things they offer, there's really kind of three products that come to mind. The first is they provide data. This is like chart data for your Dynon Skyview or your GRT EFIS or, you know, whatever. So they, they provide them for all the big ones. So if, um, if you plug in your EFIS as it comes from Dynon or, or Garmin or whatever, it's going to have a basic map database. You're going to be able to do moving map and stuff like that. But it doesn't have those monthly updated sectionals. It doesn't have all the obstruction database. It doesn't have an, uh, an updated TFR database that gets, that gets refreshed and appears directly on there. All that data is all changing every month. Every, every time the FAA publishes new data, somebody has to update it and then provide it into your device. And so unless it's built in directly into the unit itself, you have to go through a third-party data subscription to provide that. So if you have a Dynon, you get a Seattle Avionics data package. And it's like you say, Gary, you can buy it for, um, you know, 50 bucks or 80 bucks a year or whatever the normal, the normal yearly subscription price is. Or you can take advantage of a Black Friday sale, which is a lifetime subscription for data. And instead of paying 80 bucks a year or whatever, you might pay 300 bucks for a lifetime subscription. And that $300 lifetime is normally $600 or something like that. So, you can you can really I mean for a reasonable price you can just set yourself up forever on all these data, and then every month you have the latest updates. You know the 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 sectionals, the digital sectionals, the obstructions, all that kind of stuff is always going to be updated. So that's the first product. The second product is if you want to get a tablet and you want to have um you know uh, uh, something like ForeFlight or Garmin Pilot, you want to have a navigation flight planning app on your tablet. You have that third-party option instead of Garmin Pilot or or um, for Flight, which are both fine products. They make their FlyQ, which is again, it's a it's a really well executed, just a, a very pleasant app to use. And they do the same thing. It's a subscription-based thing. They offer a, a lifetime subscription or just a reduced annual subscription on their Black Friday sale. And then lastly, they even have some free apps out there that will give you database. Um, Stuff for like uh, airport and runway headings, um, comm frequencies, and just your your typical uh, airport facility directory type information in a free app. So they, they have a couple of different things out there like that. So check out their Black Friday deals. And then just as a teaser, if you look at all the discounts they're offering in that Black Friday email, the lowest price break that you're going to get is on the order of about 40 bucks for like an like a, a yearly subscription. But if you look at the annual subscriptions, they go from a minimum of $250 off up to a max of $500 off. So $500 off on a Black Friday scale, that is a smoking hot deal. All right, um, John or Mike, um, do you guys have any other apps that kind of go along the same line that um, that you really like using in the cockpit. I I actually I'm a believe like you guy. Yeah, but it's like you guy. I'm I'm like an iFly GPS guy now for some reason. You know, I just seem to like their layout. Uh, okay. Well, tell us about the iFly. <clears throat> you know, it's it's uh if you compare it, you know, and I like I like uh Seattle Avionics also. You know, I've seen theirs and I and I have probably a, a leftover you know, I get a two for one deal there one year, a couple of years ago. So, 
but I like that one also. But I, the FlyQ team seems to have, uh, to me, just, you know, I, use, I like ThorFlight for the planning, weather, things. But the FlyQ or, or iFlyGPS seems to have a nicer layout for me to see. I, I have an iPad mini, so it looks, it's easier for me to see. And the contrast is better for somebody that's getting older, maybe. Uh, I, I just like their their uh, sectional chart look. I don't do the IFR side, but uh, that's one of my that's one of mine. And they're they're about the cheapest right now. They're like fifty sixty bucks a year or something like that. So mm-hmm. they're they're pretty reasonable <clears throat> just for yeah. straight VFR. And then there's also uh, if you have an AHARS like a Stratus or Stratus, they they provide uh, a three D view split screen type thing also. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have heard that said about the iFly is that it's a really simple, clean, intuitive interface. And if you just want, you know, some basic stuff, you don't necessarily need some of those power features. You just want something that's VFR and really easy to use. The iFly uh, has been really popular for those type of users. Yes. I mean, I still have my, you know, I still, I still bring up my ForeFlight, you know, but I I like that for the initial planning and I like that for access of ease of weather. But I think that as far as the, the sectional chart looks uh, and the flight planning. I think it, the iFly is, is uh, a little bit better for me to visually look at. So, yeah. And John, you said you were a FlyQ. Yeah, I've been on FlyQ for a couple of years. You know, like Gary, they they have um, they have deals over the years where if you buy two years, it, they discount the second year pretty much. I did that last time, uh, so I'm coming up on my renewal. And I'll probably renew, but you know, it's the time to jump and see what you like something else. So, you know, they're, they're all constantly making adjustments to try to, to be the best. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are two other little apps that I like to use and I just use them on my iPhone. Um, one is a, a little app. It's a free app called Windfinder, uh, all one word Windfinder. It's really geared towards windsurfing and it, it, it tells you, on a kind of a, a three-hour block over the course of a day. And you can look out usually a day or about a day and a half in advance. And it just tells you how the winds are coming up. And so when you want a really quick thing like, hey, I think I'm going to go fly tomorrow morning, what are the winds forecasted to be like? Rather than try to log on and pull up forecasts and, and try to you know dig that out of another app, this wind finder is super fast. You, you launch the app and it goes and it just displays right there direction, a little bit of cloud conditions, and uh, speed and direction. And so for, for just that particular purpose, WindFinder works really, really well. And it's always just like dead on. So whatever algorithm they're using um, has had really good accuracy for me. The other app that I like, and I think a lot of people use this, is the, um, the My Radar weather tool. And that's what takes the, the, um, the Doppler radar synthetic pictures and overlays it, you know. Bas- yeah, a little bit. 15, 20 minutes. I'm just, I'm getting ready to get off. Can uh, can Mike come out and play? Yes. (laughs) I thought I was muted, guys. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, you know another another app that that's kind of cool to 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 have on your phone is the density altitude app. Have you guys ever had that? I haven't. So tell us about that one. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but it's it's. I think you could just go to the app store and it's there, there's a there's a. You just put density altitude in there, and basically, I'm not sure if it takes it 
it, you know, it probably doesn't take it from your phone, but it takes it from wherever your nearest point of weather is. And it actually, you can actually convert, it actually, it knows what the temperature is and it converts it right to density altitude. So if you know, you know, like really Colorado is a great place to have it, you know. So, and I think it's a freebie. I don't think I paid for it. Mm-hmm. If I did pay yeah. for it, it was like two bucks or something like that, you know, so. Okay. All right. Um, if you find the exact name, and, I will uh, s- send me that and I'll put that link in there. But anyhow, and meanwhile, uh, oh, Santa Claus has got to step off because he's got to go fly to the North Pole. Yeah, he's got to, uh, <laughs> you know, scoop some reindeer poop or something. I got to go right? take care of the, of the uh, helpers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll see you later. All righty. Guess have a good, good, good uh, holiday. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, you're welcome. Bye. All right. Yeah. I can always count on the Grinch to steal Christmas, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we, we don't want to get Mike in trouble. So other duties to, uh, to attend to. All right. So the last item I have is uh, anybody who watches Gary's channel, they often see him flying around, even in the summertime, in these lightweight black long sleeve shirts they've got pockets all over and and you think man gary why are you flying around in the summer in a bubble canopy sonics in a black long sleeve shirt but there is a method to his madness and this is the man who has been who's had a lot of hours flying cross country and he knows what he's doing gary tell us about what the deal is with those shirts uh yeah you can get a serious suntan sunburn in some of these uh, cockpits that we fly in um and and so it it didn't take me long at all when I started flying the Sonics with that bubble canopy to realize I needed something to protect myself on cross-country flights, uh, particularly when I did that one down to Key West and back from Denver in my little Aerobee-powered Sonics. Um, you know, there were times when, you know, I, I not only tried to have those little Klingon sunshades that you'd put around different places to block the sun and you know, you're wearing hats and, you know, I'm starting to look for towels to put on, on top of my arms because my arms are starting to burn. And so it, it, it dawned on me pretty soon that I needed to be wearing long sleeve shirts. Now, you bring up the color black and a lot of people think, well, gosh, why wouldn't you wear something like a white shirt to try to reflect that sun? You know, I've actually found that it really makes no difference. Uh, just the fact that you, you have a, a, a material that's in between your skin and the sun to cut out that direct radiant heat aspect uh, does wonders. And then secondarily, the reason why I choose black is because now you don't have so much reflectivity within the cockpit, bouncing off uh, you know, all the plexiglass and back on your instruments and so forth. And the white shirts will certainly do that. They'll just reflect everywhere. And so uh, you know, I, my, my go-to shirt now is, uh, uh, is, a, is a synthetic. I know some people don't like synthetics, but a synthetic long sleeve lightweight shirt uh, that is black in color, so it protects me from the sun and doesn't give me all the reflective issues, and it makes makes the flights much much more enjoyable. It makes them cooler, right? And they're loose and airy, and so you get a little bit of air circulation uh, up underneath your shirt. Yeah. And um, it, it, you know, wearing a long sleeve uniform jacket all day long, everybody says that must be really hot. Well, you know, it is at times. But a lot of times, keeping the direct sunlight off of your skin is far more important. And you kind of get a little microclimate going, and it's not as bad as it seems. But it's essential to keep your skin protected. Yeah, absolutely. Now, John, uh, I'm sure that when you're flying those uh, 400K glider flights, um, you know, 
you're going to have to work out your kit for uh, for making those long endurance ones. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're in a glider, um, you know, you're confined in a very tight space. And so we fly with um, the synthetic shirts uh, with lots of pockets so we can put all of our emergency bailout stuff. If we have to punch out under parachute, at least we have something to, you know, we have all of our gear with us. Um, also ventilation and, and, you know, that, that cockpit is, is a greenhouse. And so even if you're at 18,000 feet and it's uh, 20 below zero outside, it's hot in the cockpit. So ventilation's good. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I like to have is, and I've learned this from the gliders is just having a camelback, uh, hydration system. Which, you know, I always had just like a water bottle or something in the Sonics. In the glider, you don't have the opportunity to have all that stuff around you. So you stuff the, the, the uh, camel back behind you. You put the snorkel up by you and you always have water right there. And I'm going to start using that in the Sonics quite a bit. And then I, we can talk about pilot relief systems also if you'd like. But normally we have to stop every two hours to get refueled. Uh, in a glider, we may be up for six hours. So we have to deal with it you know, in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. Um, I never thought about bringing a camel back, but you're absolutely right. You know, when you can't fidget around in the cockpit and all that, you got to get organized in advance. Cause once you depart, it's too late to shuffle things around. And it doesn't leak and it's, you know, you can stuff it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe a camel back yeah, is a nice little trip. Plus when you get to Oshkosh, that camel back is wonderful because it's a, you just put it on your back you fill it up with water. You don't have to pay those $3 water bottle charges and, uh, you can just sip all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay. All right. Well, um, any other flight gear items before we transition to everybody's favorite and that's tools. I'm ready for tools. Okay. Well, you know, it has been said that an aircraft building project is the world's best excuse to go acquire more tools. And uh, aside from maybe race cars, that's probably pretty true. So these are some tools. Some of these are, are really mundane, simple tools. But, you know, after you get through your project, you think, man, what did I really use that really enhanced it? Yeah, that simple little tool was essential for what, you know, for, for keeping me on track. Others are a little more elaborate, a little bit more deluxe. So we'll kind of just run the gamut of things that we in particular have, have really liked and, and recommend. And... Uh, John, I'm going to kick this over since we start. We since had deluxe. I'm going to kick it off at the top of the price range, the one kilo buck uh, or higher price range, and that is the Dynavibe prop balancer. So take it away. All right. Well, it, it is definitely a luxury item uh, tool. Um, you're going to use it hopefully just once, but you'll probably use it more. the uh, The Dynavibe is a uh, accelerometer. Uh, tachometer computer that you mount to your engine um, and run it up and it will tell you uh, where you're out of balance on the uh, the rotation of the propeller and it's pretty accurate and it's actually not it, it's a little intimidating at first but it's actually not that that hard to uh, to figure out and then what it basically tells you is you have you're out of balance at this radial off of your, uh, off the center and you add weight or take weight off if you can on the other side. 
and then you just keep rebalancing it until it's uh, it comes within spec. And so if, if you think about it, it's it's very similar to uh, the high speed uh, tire balancers when you get tires on your car. Uh, they're, they're using the same technology, but you're using it on your engine and your propeller. Okay, so what would be the advantage for someone to to run a dynamic prop balance on their airplane? Well, what it'll do is it'll reduce vibrations, especially the real small vibrations. And yeah, everybody knows vibrations cause fatigue. They cause wires to come loose. They cause, uh, you know, it, it, it also is you can physically feel it, that vibration when you get up to a certain harmonic uh, or uh, to an RPM that, that creates a, a harmonic uh, problem. And so anything you can do to reduce that will eliminate a lot of the problems that you might be experiencing downstream. And John, yeah. I was one of the first ones to use your prop balancer. And I always thought my engine that I was running was pretty smooth. And it actually was well within spec when I did the first run up. Uh, but by the time I got it down, it was almost zero. I mean, it was 0. 0.003 inches per second, uh, which is phenomenally smooth. And, and I do say that I did notice a perceived difference flying it as well. Well, I managed, I, pro, I balanced mine and it was way out of balance. It was like at, at uh, 0.35 inches per second. And I got it down to 0.07 uh, yeah, with, with just a few iterations. And it was smooth. I don't really, I didn't fly it with it in the original because, you know, I've, I've uh, had the plane apart. But um, after I flew it, you know, when I did fly it, the engine, the smoothness was not one of my squawks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll do a full show on prop balancing, but um, I also, you know, used your prop balancer and um, I was able to get a significant improvement. And and you really can feel it when it's out of balance. You can feel those vibrations and you can really feel them. You know, there's a certain RPM range where the vibrations are are hitting that resonance and then you kind of pass through it. With, the, with a good prop balance, a lot of times those things are not noticeable. You get a much smoother all the way up through your RPM range. So, yeah, I think that's that's worth it. Just in longevity of the engine and the bearings and the airframe and making it more pleasant for you sitting in the cockpit. And, and you know, one of the things is, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, this is the Christmas show. We are, um, I bought this prop balancer at Oshkosh and I'm willing to loan it out for $100. Um, to any Sonics guy uh, to balance their props. So, you know, that's what well within the stocking stuffer prices. And then you just have to send it back to me. Yeah. And for anybody that um, is, is wondering if that's a, a good deal or not, I guess um, if you go to <laughs> a, a place that does this commercially your local AMP or something like that, um, you know, they charge a lot. They charge either by the hour or like a flat rate of like 400 bucks. I saw a guy that was advertising on the, the pinup bulletin board at Oshkosh. That was a kind of a while you wait prop balance. You know, he'd run around the, the parking lot at, at there at AirVenture and balance props. And it was like 400 bucks. So yeah, being able to do it yourself and, and, um, that's a pretty good deal. Or, you know, um, I suppose, John, if you want to get that extra swagger at your local EA chapter, instead of buying that uh, $1,200 pickpocket hat with a feather, you could buy your prop balancer, and then you'd be the big dog <laughs> on the block. That's true. You can definitely do it for your club. You can do it for yourself. Actually, I think it's worth it 
to have it. Um, Mike is going to get it next. Uh, I know he's left, but he's bought the, you know, all the little washers and things that he can use to exchange out to help balance it. And, uh, and then it's going to come back to me and then I'm going to start uh, publishing it on the uh, Sonics Builders Net that this thing is available. All right. Good. Well, in keeping with the, uh, the more deluxe side of things, my suggestion is the borescope. I've talked about this borescope that I have, and there are others like it, but this is the Vividia VA400. That's Victor Alpha 400, 400. Um, you can get them off Amazon. They're about 200 bucks. You can get them from Aircraft Spruce now. These are just terrific borescopes. They have a little flexible head that can articulate a full 180 degrees. So you have a rigid shaft that's about a foot long. You can run this thing down into the, the recesses of the engine and, and, or run it down through a spark plug hole. And then with this little thumb button, it can articulate the, the camera head. So you can look anywhere from straight ahead to 90 degrees to completely back 180 degrees back on itself. And so when you run it down inside the cylinder, you can look back up at the valves and see your exhaust and intake valves, see what kind of accumulation or if you have any kind of valve problems. And we know that on the Jabiru and the Aero-V, uh, both those engines have just fantastic reliabilities on the bottom end of the engine. But where you're going to first notice problems typically is in the heads. And you're going to see uh, leaking on your exhaust valves as likely where you're going to start to see that, you know, you need to do some work. This allows you to get in there and directly observe the condition of those valves and make a good determination on whether it's uh, safe to keep going for another year or uh, maybe you need to pop it off and uh, give it a more close look and perhaps refurbish it. So for 200 bucks, you can borescope every annual, every time you change your spark plugs, you can just get in there and have a good look down inside the engine, give yourself a, a higher level of confidence that you know truly what's going on inside. And Mr. Jeff, I took your your advice, and I have one of those sitting in my garage now. I haven't had a chance to use it, but got myself an early Christmas present, and I've got the exact same model. Um, and just as a side look, you know, there's been some discussion. You know, the old gold standard used to be uh, compression uh, levels, you know, the uh, whatever it is, 76 over 80, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but now there's some discussion that really the, really the, the gold standard now uh, should it be borescope analysis and actually visualizing what's going on, on the inside. Right. Yeah. Being able to lay eyes on it, you're going to be able to see signs of distress in those valves. And that's going to allow you to intercept a problem before it catastrophically uh, finds you. Yep. Well, good. I'm glad you got that. Uh, so Merry Christmas, Gary. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there is a companion accessory that, that goes with it. So the VA400 has um, a, just your normal fat USB to plug into the side of a laptop. Or if you have a, a, an adapter for an Android phone, you can you get a USB adapter and plug it into your phone. But if you have an iPhone, you can't easily add a USB port on it. It's just they're, they're not made to work that way. And sometimes it's not convenient to drag your laptop out there and uh, and run it. So you can get what they call the airbox, which you plug the USB device into, in this case, the Borksoap. And it creates a little uh, Wi-Fi network that your iPhone can then connect to and import that wireless signal. So um, you can use it for more than just the Borescope, but it's a, it's a companion item. It's about 100 bucks, and that allows you to skip having to drag your laptop out there. Or if you have an Android phone then, or a tablet, you don't have to worry about this. All righty. Um, Gary, this is a, the next item on the list. This is something that you put on there. I thought this was a, a great addition. 
And that is when you're getting ready to go out there and work on your project, whether you're bolting something up or you're working on, you know, your annual inspection or whatever, there is a standard reference that uh, should be part of every home builder's library. And that is the AC 43.13. That's the acceptable methods. This is an FAA publication and you really ought to have a copy to refer to so that you can thumb through it when you have questions about the right way to go about it. So Gary, when did you get your first copy of this? And I guess what would you recommend, a, I guess really anybody, put this in perspective. Well, well, first of all, I'm old and I can't remember that far back anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so my copy I've got now has been out in the hangar in my garage. It looks pretty ratty. It's kind of all, you know, dog-eared and everything else. Uh, but it's, it is one of those publications I got when I, when I was building my Sonics, you know, many, many, many years ago. You know, there's a lot of stuff. We get a lot of good information, you know, on, on the how-to videos, EA websites, for example, the tips and tricks and everything else like that. Uh, but sometimes you're just looking for some hard numbers. And and the reference point that we, the reference point we go to, the best one, the one that's considered the Bible, is the FAA publication, AC43. And that talks about the acceptable techniques. It basically says, how do you do something? How do you safety wire something? How do you stack up a bunch of, of terminals onto a lug? There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way. Um, you know, sometimes, most time, we just most of us just kind of jam everything down. And, and if, if the nut fits, it's good to go. Uh, but actually, they do have diagrams there on how to stack up various different terminals. How many terminals can you put on a lug? All those kind of things. And, and so it's, it's a relatively pricey book. Um, it's not something you'll use a thousand times, uh, but if you really have a question, a concern, there's something getting at you, am I really doing this the right way and the safe way? Uh, that's the book to use. And so you, you know, if you're, if you're a home builder, it's, it's one of those educational tools that you really just should have on your shelf. Yeah. In terms of, you know, the amount of knowledge contained in that reference, you know, this goes way back to the earliest days of aviation. As we started to identify ways that worked well, um, vice other things that maybe work in some situations but are not really a best practice across the board, you know, this book has all this information that has been accumulated over a century of, of working on airplanes. Sure, from and it wood, really is a great from, reference. From woodwork to metalwork to fiberglass to, uh, you know, electronics, uh, the list kind of goes on and on. Yeah, so if you have a if you have a piece of uh, you know a wood stringer on a on a plane. Now, obviously, we're not talking about the Sonics, but you know whatever. Pick pick your favorite thing. You have a you have a wood stringer that's damaged, and you think, man, I need to repair this. How am I going to do that? Well, you can just take a stab at it. You could get on YouTube and look for boat building repair tips and figure out how to do it like that. Or you can flip open to the chapter in AC forty three. And, uh, and see what they have to say. And they'll tell you exactly, you know, the types of glues and how you're going to scarf that together. And, you know, should it be a 10 to 1 scarf or is it a 6 to 1 scarf? I don't know. I can't remember, but it's in the book, you know. So all those types of things are going to be contained in this reference. And once you get in the habit of going and looking things up, uh, you're really going to find your, your effectiveness and your confidence is going to grow. It's a great reference to have. And in the realm of, of books, it is kind of pricey, but in the realm of airplanes, it's uh, it's cheap insurance. It's like thirty or forty bucks. So you know, print one out, leave it in the hangar, print one out, and leave it by your uh, you know in your in your home library. All right, moving on. This is an item that is on my Christmas list. I do not have one, although I did get to play with one at Oshkosh last year, and 
everybody has a, a set of Clico pliers. They have maybe their they have a couple of sets of Clico pliers, so that when you misplace one, i.e., in the in the back pocket of your jeans when you're out in the work, and you can go over and grab the other backup pair. But there's lots of times where you're you're kind of you're pulling Clicos with a kind of a reversed hand grip, and that can fatigue your hands because you kind of have to precariously balance the Clico pliers because they're using kind of backwards. Well, there is a different style. It's it's relatively new, a couple of years old. It is called an upright Clico plier set. And it is made expressly to have kind of that reverse grip. So so it puts a lot of the stress back into the, the web of your hand rather than on the fingers of your hand. Really, really super easy to use, especially when you're you're like reaching over or you're kind of, you know, up underneath the wing or something like that. Um, they're about 20 bucks. You can get them from the EAA or you can get them off of, uh, aircraft spruce or directly from their, their website. Um, great addition to your Clico plier drawer. Gary, have you used any of these? Yeah, I, I know that I've seen that. I, I think it's called Clicol. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's like their brand Clicol. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't actually, I haven't actually got one, but I, I like your comment about losing the Clico pliers in your, in your jean pants. I thought I was the only one that did that. <laughs> so I do have no, to no. Uh, yeah, I'll admit upset. to that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, you're definitely going to need a couple of pair of Clico pliers, so you might as well get uh, get one regular and one upright, and call it good. Yeah. All right, uh, Gary. Uh, a couple of these items uh, you put on there, and um, why don't you tell us about the air drill that you recommend? Boy, you know, I did the Legacy Sonics, and so there was a lot of fabrication still in that, a lot of uh, layouts of holes and a lot of drilling. Uh, you know, I went through a couple of different things. I was started off with, you know, a cheap Harbor Freight corded drill, uh, which I found the, the problem with that one, um, other than the size and somewhat of the weight, uh, it was a relatively slow-turning drill. And even when you let go of the butt, it takes a time for it to wind down. And so eventually I decided I was going to treat myself. And it was probably around a Christmas time, believe it or not. And I decided to try some of those air tools. And I got a Sioux air drill, a Palm air drill uh, that would turn, you know, like 3,000, 4,000 revolutions per minute. And it's instant on, instant off, very lightweight. And it just goes through the metal like like butter it, it was it got to be such a pleasure to use um that basically I, I started converting a lot of my stuff to air uh i even i had that that palm drill the smaller one that i use for uh you know like my number 40 drill bits the pilot holes uh that needed you know a high speed not a lot of power and then i bought a second one that had a half inch bit to it a chuck to it uh, that I could put my large bits in there. So then I could always have, you know, basically my, my pilot bit always keyed up and chucked in the small drill, you know, and my final size chucked up in the in the bigger drill. And so it's just a matter of just picking one or the other and just going zip, 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 zip back. And I just really found it really it decreased the amount of fatigue and, uh, and gave me a lot better holes. I just found out there was less... Uh, um, wobble in the bits and run out in, in the holes and it was just a pleasure just it was just a sheer pleasure to use yeah and I think this is something until you try a good palm drill you, you, you really don't get it maybe you've tried a low quality clunky air drill and, and you think well yeah okay it's kind of just more of the same except it's air powered 
but a good quality air drill, I think, is going to become very addictive. So give it a try. And if you have the ability to plumb your shop for air power, uh, where it's going to be convenient and not get you in trouble with the neighbors, um, I think you, you'll really find that uh, is the way to go. Yeah, I did mount my, my compressor down in the basement and ran a long line up to my garage. Um, you can still hear it in the basement, but it, at least it was the decibels were tolerable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, suit air drills, they have a, a different speed ranges. You can kind of suit one. But like you say, Gary, something in the three to 4,000, that's the higher speed range, is going to be really good for small bits. You know, we're talking number 30, number 40 size holes. Um, you don't need the torque of a really slower turning larger bit. So, yeah, get one of those uh, three or 4,000. And they're uh, a couple hundred bucks, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy that. All right, Gary, there were a few other items. Uh, I'll let you just kind of talk about these uh, together. You put drill stops on the list and deburring bits on the list. So tell us about those. Well, uh, drill stops, you know, there's a lot of ways to try to, you know, as you're pushing your drill bit in, all of a sudden the, the drill bit breaks through the backside and the chuck slams up against the metal, sometimes causes little moon shapes. Uh, but the drill bits that I recommended on there actually are more for a different purpose. I, I don't know how many times that you can put a, a 30 and a 40 drill bit down on the tables and you start to look at them and you pick up the wrong one. Uh, because, you know, initially when you look at them, there's not a lot of size difference between those two bits. Uh, these drill bits are the or guides are color coded, basically, and they're color coded the same as our Clecos that we use. Um, so you've got gold, you've got copper, you've got black, all to match along your Clecos. And so once you mount the bit into your drill, you slide this drill stop on it. It's the same color code. And so now you know that if you need a, you're working, you know, with a number 40 Cleco that needs to be silver, you grab your silver bit and you're, you're ready to go. And it really just saved me a lot of time and aggravation. It does help prevent a little bit of marring of the metal too. It's not absolutely perfect. If you're really concerned about marring in the metal, then basically just the easiest way is just take a piece of rubber hose and chop off a piece of it and just stick it on the bit up near the chuck, and that'll take care of that part of it. But I really liked it just for the identification of the drill bits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it just saved me a ton of time and aggravation. Yeah, yeah, that, that you're right. And um, you get pretty good at grabbing a drill bit and being able to tell, oh, this is a number 40 or this is a 30. But, uh, you know, that's a perishable skill. And when you take a week or two off and, uh, and you haven't been out to the shop, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to find that your ability to, to, to know it at a glance is going to start to degrade. And so why not just hedge your bets and give yourself some positive ID on those bits? Yeah, I can tell you it's, it's, I have and, you know, drilled the wrong size hole. Now you got to do something a little bit different. And so that was just one more visual clue that perhaps you might not have the drill bit you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. And the deburring bit. Tell us about that. You know, uh, typically we use a, a, a multi-flute deburring bit. Uh, you can see them on the speed deburr tools that are kind of the, the cock angle, 90 degree angle things that you can twist and spin real fast with your hands. Uh, but I ran across a single flute bit from Cleveland Tool several years ago at Oshkosh. And uh, I found that those single flutes make a much smoother camphor. Uh, actually, just a deburr. We really don't want to camper too much. Although in, in real reality, you do get a little bit every time you use one of these deburring tools. Uh, but the goal is not to do so much of that as it is just to deep, just to get the burrs off of it. 
but the single flute made it much more smooth. You get what less a whole lot less what they call chattering, where if you use the multi bench, you can see it just kind of makes a little scalloping uh, in the hole that you're trying to deburr, and that can be problematic. Uh, the next thing that I really liked that I used with this when I was doing my sonic swing, and I got to the point where you had to do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these holes deburr, and I had this little simple hand spin deburr tool, and I said, there's got to be a better way. And what I had in my hand at the time that was available to me was a little cheap black and deck or electronic screwdriver that turned really slow, as you know they do. And I took a... Um, uh, a, a, a bit that you could screw uh, one of these flutes into it. And originally I had the three flutes size because I didn't have that single threaded one. And I just welded that thing into that bit that I could chuck up into that handheld screwdriver and, and deburr all my holes. Well, this single flute is, is threaded. I think it's a quarter 28 thread and you can find matching receptacle bits that you can then uh, chuck up into a, uh, a handheld screwdriver and they just make an excellent effortless deburring tool that'll save you lots and lots of time as well as lots of repetitive stress injury. And it's economical. They're not very expensive. They're another around 10 bucks or something like that, I think. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's a good tip too. Alrighty. Well, the next item on the list and John, I know this is one of your favorite tools and that is, we've talked a lot about using the, the micro-oscillating cutting tools for things like your cowling and your canopy on the Plexi. Um, these are wonderful tools. So, John, tell us uh, again, for anybody who's not sure what this thing is, what it is, and why it's worth going out and picking one up for 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah, you can, you can pick them up at Harbor Freight or whatever. And uh, what it is, is it's a... Um, they're they're plug-in electric, and so you you turn it on, and the 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 head vibrates back and forth at a very high rate. And you can buy different types of blades for them, or adapters, um, even sanding heads and things. But what I found is the little uh, the half moon uh, metal cutting heads are really helpful on on trimming up anything fiberglass, plastic. Um, it'll even cut aluminum if you know in a tight spot, um, but it's so easy to control, and they're they're not that expensive, and they're just really handy to have. Yeah, one of the things I like the most about these is that unlike a, a Dremel with a cutting disc, which I, I really like Dremels and cutting discs, by the way, but unlike that, this thing is not spinning around in a continuous circle where it's trying to grab the work and then it's going to spit it out of the cut and drag it all across your, your part. It only vibrates back and forth, just, just fractions of a millimeter, just, just very fast back and forth. And so it doesn't tend to, to want to walk itself out of your cut and mar up the surrounding area. Yeah, it's really easy to control. Um, you know, if, if you start, you just basically touch it. And then the more you put a little pressure on it, the more it'll cut. You back off, it backs off. My problem with Dremels is they like to walk and they like to also break the little discs or whatever you're using. And um, I love the Dremel, but I hate the Dremel. Yeah. The only yep. thing I noticed about the oscillating tools is, is the blades do tend to get dull pretty quickly, but they're inexpensive. Uh, so, so buy a few spares of the, of the size that you think you want to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. 
Well, I have uh, something on here, and um, I'm not sure what, what really motivated me to put this on there, except that I was looking at my toolbox, and I thought, you know, this is one of my favorite little things that I have a hard time finding. I have a little set of small ignition wrenches. They're, they're a dual-sided, open-ended wrench. Uh, I got them from Napa Auto years ago. You can get them off uh, auto parts stores or Amazon or places like that. But it usually is a set of maybe six or eight very small wrenches. So if you have an odd size um, nut, say like the uh, the nuts that hold on the magnetron modules on the back of your Aero-V, or little tiny little nuts on the Aero carb or something like that, they don't really fit well with your standard box wrench or your socket set. These little things are thin, they're really easy to slip in into a small gap, and they have all those oddball sizes that are very, very small for those tiny little nuts. One of these sets costs 15 or 20 bucks, and it will get you out of a bind when you need something particular, and, and space and access is a, is a challenge. I wish I would have seen that. I could have used those. Well, you can, uh, you can get it as a stocking stuffer and slip it right into your stocking this year. And there you go. <laughs> all right uh that, that's kind of starting to kind of get to the end of my list here um gary speaking of stocking stuffers there were a couple other items that you threw on this list um you had a small ruler and uh and a lightweight air hose kit so tell us about those well the lightweight air hose of course goes with the, the palm drill i would suggest and this was another cleveland tool product by the way as well um, some of those air hoses by themselves, you know, those big, thick rubber hoses, uh, are more industrial grade, and that's not really what we want. Plus, they're very heavy. Uh, they're a little bit awkward to, to work and to bend around and get some of the corners that you need to. So Cleveland came out with a, with a smaller set. Um, they use smaller uh, connectors as well, and it's just like some kind of PVC clear tubing, uh, but it's strong, but very, very lightweight, very, very flexible. And it really lightened up the feel of the, of the drill, too. And I was really impressed by the, how, how well it felt and how easy it was to work with. And so that's something you attach uh, between your drill and your standard hose just to save you some, some grief and time and, 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 and fatigue. Uh, but, you know, the cheapest thing that I probably put on this whole tool, this list, was my little tiny ruler. Now, this ruler is about six inches long. I have one in fractionals. And I also have one in millimeters. And it has a sliding pocket clip to it with a T. It's a T-shaped sliding pocket clip, if you can if you can visualize that a little bit. What works great about that is when you flip that T around a little bit, you set that to whatever depth that you need. And now you can use this little ruler over and over and over again to set your, your setbacks uh, from edges of metal to for all your holes that you need to drill. Um, and it, instead of using a traditional ruler, where you're trying to, you know, line up one edge and get it all squared up. You just kind of set this little T pocket clip, uh, to the measurement that you want, turn it over, slide it up against the edge of the metal and you go at the end of the ruler and mark it. Uh, you know, it's a $6 item, but man, I have just used that for years in all kinds of, uh, of projects and fabrications that I did. And I don't know how I would deal without it. Yeah, I have multiple of those little rulers too. And um, even on the, the newer kits and the B model kits, you're going to do a fair amount of very small little layouts where you're going to grab your, your six inch rule and your Sharpie and you're going to follow the plans and, um, and lay out a part. And having a easy to use, 
whether that's metric or whether that's fractions of an inch, whatever you're using, uh, an easy to use ruler that is um, very convenient. Uh, you're going to be using it a lot. It's going to be one of the most often used tools. You absolutely do not want to pull out your your you know Home Depot tape measure and try to measure off you know small dimensions off of a tape measure. That just does not work. It's just cumbersome, and you want to avoid that at all costs. You want to use that little six inch rule for as much as you can. Yeah, it was just the ease of doing repetitive measurements, uh, which was really the saving grace of it. Yep. All right. Well, the last item I have is uh, the little Harbor Freight belt file. This is the the power tool. It's a corded power tool that has these little one-inch sanding belts. I like to call it a finger sander because it's like a, a small little finger that juts out from the front of the tool. And this little belt is great for getting into small corners and shaving down your uh, your your precise fit on the canopy or trimming the cowling. It's just a really, really useful tool for getting in tight areas where you want to sand off either a radius or a nice straight line. So belt files, they're $30 or $40 from Harbor Freight. You can get a pack of sanding belts for a few bucks and they they tend to, to last pretty well. And it's a tool that really makes a lot of these tasks simple, especially when you're trying to fit your canopy and you think, man, I really need to shave off about a 32nd of an inch. And you think, a 32nd of an inch, how am I going to, I can't cut a 32nd. I'm not going to dremel it because that'll be a disaster. So you end up using a sanding block and trying to like hand sand that down. Well, that, that'll just kill you right there. Or you pull out the finger sander and you blaze across the surface and in just a matter of moments, you're, you're done. I know it came in particularly handy when I had to cut holes in my wings to mount uh, some recessed landing lights. Uh, you know, initially you can cut out, you know, the general size that you want. But as you always know, you have to kind of cut uh, undersize and, and find some way to slowly enlarge those holes. And that little belt sander was wonderful on that kind of project. All right. Well, unless uh, something else comes to mind in the tool category, I think that wraps up the tools. Well, the only thing I could say is if this is a, a you know, a Christmas gift idea, um, your loved ones, um, if they just gave you a $200 gift certificate to Harbor Freight, I'm sure you'll wander through there. It'll probably take you two hours, but you will find enough uh, interesting tools. Half of them will be useful, half of them won't. Uh, but you'll come out smiling. Yeah, that's right. And we all love Harbor Freight because if you go in there knowing that certain tools are going to be low-use specialty items, that a Harbor Freight tool is going to do that just fine. And other tools, you know, maybe you don't want to buy your backup generator, you know, from Harbor Freight. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But knowing what you're getting into, (laughs) well... Yeah, I, I say that because uh, <laughs> some of their power tools, or their, their, their gas-powered tools, have um, yeah. sort of a checkered track records. Well, the other good thing about inexpensive tools is you can grind them down to fit what you need to do. There's sometimes you're going to have to grind a tool down, and you know you, you wouldn't do that to some of your snap-on stuff. But you know you just take one of these right. things and you put it up against the belt sander and just go at it until you get down to what you need. That's yeah. absolutely that's true. true. It's just, you can modify a Harbor Freight tool and not feel guilty at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. I've actually gone in and bought like a, a multi-pack of wrenches. I only need one wrench. And exactly like you say, I'm going to bend it and, and modify it. I, I buy a whole pack of wrenches because for eight bucks, I'm going to make the exact tool I need. And the other ones can just go into the scrap bin, you know, for all I care. I need that one tool and eight bucks is about the right price. Yeah. 
Alrighty, well, I'm going to close this out. I, I, we did get some suggestion from listeners. So the first one, I'm just going to run down these as they came in. The first one came from Russ, Wes Regal, and he sent me a couple of items, or actually, it looks like a single item. So he said that he really wished at the beginning of his project that he went ahead and bought a good uh, multi-step, or I guess a, a multi-piece drill index. So he gave me a recommendation for a 115-piece jobber drill bit set. This is one of those big uh, cases. It's got you know a whole bunch of different sizes in it, and it moves in very small indexed sizes. So instead of just your you know your eighth-inch fractional set or something like that, uh, it's got your your numbered bits, it's got your lettered bits, it's got oddball bits and all that. And so having the exact size bit close at hand, he said, was really really useful. And um, he also said, get a good quality one. So you can get a you can get it off of Amazon or you can get a Harbor Freight drill index or something like that. But he gave me a link to a very high quality one from McMaster. And he says, hey, I know it's a splurge, but hey, it's Christmas and you're going to like using it. So I'll put the link to the one or actually he, the Granger unit that he put. Now, I don't know if this thing goes on sale, but. Full price, it's a pretty pricey tool. I'll let you go and discover exactly how pricey. But I was a little bit surprised at the price. However, his point is extremely valid. Having the right size drill bit close at hand when you need it is going gonna, is gonna to make it a lot easier. If not, you're in there trying to find something that is halfway close that'll work. And then maybe it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit too big. And as we all know, it's a whole lot easier to ream a hole slightly larger than to try to make it small again after you've drilled it too big. Well, I second his opinion. I've had some of those ma- those uh, big master sets as well, and they do come in handy. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks, Wes. Appreciate that suggestion. And that, that is a great suggestion. And then lastly, Mike Smith sent us a few items. So he said, if you are looking for some sort of in-flight navigation and you don't want to do an iPad on running for flight or something like that, he says, check out the Nexus tablet. So Nexus is a line of Android tablets, and they're really, really affordable. You can get anywhere from 100 to $200. The one he listed is uh, about 175 And running Android software, there's a whole line of different apps you can run in there. But the one he recommends is a free software package called Avair, or it's A-V-A-R-E. I think that's what I was pronounced, Avair. And it's a moving map navigation software. It's very similar to something like Garmin Pilot or FlyQ or ForeFlight. Um, it has all your database. So things like your runway assignments, your comm frequencies, the fuel prices, all that kind of stuff that you would expect to get. And uh, as well as you can pair it with your ADSB receivers and receive traffic and weather and position and all that kind of stuff. So for a, a really cheap price, free software and an Android tablet, you can get a really nice setup that is probably, I don't think you can do any better on price than, than going that route. The, um, the other item that he recommended is um, the, uh, the adapters that you need to use with your GoPro. So if you just set your GoPro up, you're going to get the, the built-in microphone picking up the ambient noise, which is just going to be a kind of an uninteresting rattle inside the cockpit or mounted out on the wing. But if you use the GoPro adapter, you can then pair that with a headset adapter and you can pull cockpit audio out of your intercom and feed it directly into your GoPro. So 
For anybody that has watched my videos, I try to use that a lot. For anybody who's seen Gary's videos, he does a much better job. So go to Gary's videos and <laughs> copy what he does. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, he had two other items just to consider. Uh, he said Prist Canopy Cleaner. I've never used Prist, but I have used some of those other types of canopy cleaners. And uh, there's a whole line, a whole whole variety of different canopy cleaners out there. And um, so I would encourage you to get on Aircraft Spruce or Sporties and, and uh, take a look at Prist and maybe some of the other competing products and uh, find something that you like. And then, of course, uh, there's always the uh, the Sonic swag items. So you can get cups and T-shirts and hats and all that from Sonics. And so... Um, I don't know that they have anything new recently, but every year at Oshkosh, they always have new t-shirts. So that's always an item that I always like to, you know, pick up a new Sonic shirt when I'm there visiting the factory or poking around the EA store. All right. Well, that, that rounds out the, uh, the Sonic's holiday gift guide. Guys, did we, did we miss anything or did we have any last minute inspiration that we want to throw on to the gift guide list? Well, that was a ton of stuff. No, I mean Lots of stuff out there, but I think that's a good start. I think like any of said, our, our our listeners ahead, can John. can start, uh, you know, verbalizing this to their loved ones and say, you know what, the guys have said this is really cool. Here's the link. Boy, this would be really nice. You know, you got to right. plant the seeds. It, exactly, and um, you never know when uh, you know that Prince Prop is going to show up under the tree. <laughs> you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> all right well before we close this out um i, I want to tell this story so uh, i received some feedback from a listener uh, a listener's name was thomas messner and john this is in relation to your new glider so a really really cool story about it really kind of shows that aviation is a small community and we have these connections sometimes that we don't even know we have so Thomas Messner, his dad, Al Messner, was a previous owner of your glider, John. Al owned this glider back in the 70s and 80s. He flew this glider all over. He was based in the West Coast, and he flew it in Minden. He went to, to Boulder. He flew in competitions, and he even competed in the Nationals in the late 70s. So Thomas grew up, literally grew up, following his dad around to glider competitions with that glider. He's got pictures on his on his bedroom dresser of him as a child riding on the tail dolly on that glider at a, at a competition. So he was just really, really tickled, John, that you were the new caretaker of this glider. He, uh, he said that it's just a, a really amazing coincidence, and he thinks his dad would be really happy to know that it's going to be in good hands and being enjoyed. Well, I really do appreciate that. That's, uh, that's heart, heartwarming. Um, I'll let you know, I, I got the glider uh, as part of an estate that I was helping settle. And um, the, uh, the previous owner, I never met him, but he had had the glider for well over 20 years, had joined our glider club, but then somehow never flew it. He just left it at the club and got interested in other things. I guess he was a champion uh, fly fisherman. And so he spent his time in the mountains. Uh, so finding out that this glider has a lot of history before even this guy even owned it um, is, is, uh, is, is rather interesting. I'd like to get to, to know uh, this gentleman and, and, and get maybe he can come out and, and sit on the tail again. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, he shared one other story, and I'm going to just relate it here. He said that um, his dad and, and his best friend, his dad's best friend, they, they had a pair of these gliders. And they flew him again at competitions in the 70s. Apparently, his dad and his friend were um, were friends that went way back. I believe they, they were both pilots flying uh, in the war. And um, so they would go to competitions and they would do stuff. Well, they were approached by an Argentinian cigarette company who was doing a whole line of cigarette commercials. They were doing kind of high adventure stuff. You know, people out there, you know, roller skating and mountain biking and doing all kinds of stuff, including flying gliders. So they spent a couple of weeks in the mountains uh, near Tahoe with their both of their gliders. They had cameras rigged up on them and they were doing these tight end formation shots and capturing all this sexy, you know, footage flying these gliders uh, around Tahoe fly in super tight formations and said, just add absolute ball. It was for the Aster cigarette company. And for a time, they even had Aster stenciled on the bottom of the wings. That's fascinating. I may have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so a really cool, really cool story. You know, that uh, glider has some history and, uh, you know, it's gone through more than just the normal sort of pilot life cycle where you, you know, you acquire it, you get to know it, you really start to enjoy it, and then you pass it on to the next. It's had a, you know, it's had a very varied existence. And so that's just really super cool to hear that and to know that it's, uh, it's continuing on. Well, going back to the history of that glider, you know, I, I went all the way back to the one that was imported from Finland. And uh, it looks like it was, at the time, 1977, the top glider to have. Um, if you were a competition glider, world-class glider, this is the glider that you guys bought. And, uh, of course, it's not that now. It, 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 the technology has moved ahead. But it was equipped at that time with the greatest and the latest and greatest technology that's still in that glider. And I'll tell you the truth. When I powered it up, it all still worked. It's a little dated. It doesn't have GPS, but it does have flight computers. You have to dial in how far you got to go, but it'll do it. Well, that's really cool. And of course, all that's all right, coming well, out and I'm putting in a GPS. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Cause technology does, uh, over uh overrun uh you know nostalgia well and, and that's a case where the technology really will enhance your flying experience so you need it yeah well small community and you know we all have these amazing degrees of connections and so it's really cool to hear about that well that kind of explains right. why the glider was in such good condition when i got it yeah absolutely Okay, so there's one other item that I just want to throw out here, and um, I, uh, I got an email from a gentleman named Tim Allen. Uh, he has a company called Allen Flight, and he is making a, a new line of aftermarket wingtips for Sonics. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, it's been slowly kind of leaking out there, I guess. So he wanted to improve the rate of climb and performance on his normally aspirated AeroV. He flies in Colorado also. And uh, he was just looking forward, you know, what can I do with some wingtips, which would be essentially a bolt-on addition, minimal modification to get it on there, that is going to improve it rather than try to add more power, which, you know, he may add more power also. So he made a set of molded carbon fiber wingtips, and uh, he said they are working really well. He's getting two to 300 foot per minute increase in rate of climb out of them. So just some quick specs here. He says the um, the the wingspan is increased 
from 22 feet, which is the original span, to 26 feet. And just doing the math here real quick, that increases the aspect ratio from 4.9 to 5.8. That alone is a nice little bump right there and going to a higher aspect ratio wing. The wing area goes from 98 feet to 114 square feet. The wingtips are 8 pounds per tip, and he has an initial price he set on them of $1,800 per set. And again, they're all molded carbon fiber. You um, you do some minor modification to the top wing skin to kind of cut them square, and then you attach these. It has a spar extrusion that that adds on to uh, to support them. Really a cool kind of a double tapered wingtip with a little tiplet in the back. Uh, very very uh, sleek and and um, refined looking. On the performance, we talked about, you know, two to 300 feet per minute increase. And again, I think these are the preliminary numbers. So I'm sure he'll be able to pin this down a little bit better as we, as we get more experience. Uh, he said the stall was reduced by three miles per hour indicated. He saw a slight bump in cruise speed, which he, he, he attributes to the lower angle of attack at, at cruise. And he, um, he didn't see any noticeable change, you know, both increase or decrease on the top speed. So again, for, um, for, what is that? 18 pounds additional weight, um, additional wing area, additional rate of climb, and a slight bump in cruise speed, and a really, really distinctive look on the end of your Sonic's wing. Really a cool project. I wish him tons of success, and I can't wait to see the next set that's being installed. He said it's going on a turbo AeroV, and we should get some performance numbers on that pretty soon. You said this guy's out of Colorado? Where, what part? I'll have to find exactly where I, I, I didn't get that. And so, um, yeah, but you're going to have to pop over and go see him. Yeah. That's, it's an intriguing, uh, situation. I mean, that, that, that does sound, I saw a picture of it and I thought it was, it looked, looked like a, uh, you know, almost like they're going towards the gobosh, you know, with the upturned wing tips. And it's like, right. that, that looks kind of neat. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought too. You know, Gobosh has that sort of double taper wingtip with a very small uh, vertical tiplet out there, and that's kind of what these look like. Also, again, it has a it has a really distinctive, really kind of a neat look. Now, certainly, it's not going to be for everyone, but um, you know, we're always looking for ways to uh, to eke out a little bit more performance, and it sounds like he has hit on something. Cool. Well, I'll put some pictures and I'll put his contact info. Anybody that wants to know more, I encourage you to reach out directly to Tim and uh, and talk to him about the, the product. All right, guys, the last announcement I have is just a reminder about the uh, the next Firewall Forward Seminar. We are going to do it here in Kansas City. It's February 15th and 16th. So go to the website, the Sonics Flight website, and you can find the details on it. So come on out here and, uh, and participate in um, going over all the best practices on your air-cooled AeroV Jabiru firewall forward installation. And if the weather looks good, maybe the uh, the Super B will make a presence. That would be cool, too. Absolutely. But you got to put me up. I got you covered. I got All you right. covered. I even have, yeah, I'll put you in the wine cellar or the beer cave, you know. Uh, I'll be right at home. Uh, uh, just a clean corner in the hangar is fine with me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, as we kind of look ahead um, over this uh, this holiday season, we are going to be looking at our to do list, our podcast topic to do list, and we're going to be rank ordering and prioritizing the topics coming up. So now's your chance. If you have something that you really want us to get to as we uh, as we set our our working list for the year ahead, uh, send us an email. Tell us what you'd like. 
Uh, we already kind of alluded to that we're going to do a prop balancing now that we've all kind of had our turn in the hot seat using the dynamic prop balancer. So we'll definitely get that one in the queue. But other things, let us know what you want and we'll make sure we get them in the right priority. All right. Well, um, I guess that about wraps up this effort. Um, guys, I appreciate all those product ideas. And, um, you know, for everybody who's listening, these are all things that we have pretty much personal experience with. We all find them really, really good products, very pleasant to use, and highly recommend them to everyone out there. For everyone else, uh, this episode you can download directly off of the website at sonicsflight.com slash 65. You can find the show notes with all these products and, and more importantly, the links to where you can get them from. So you can go through and you can mine the list for, uh, for direct links. You can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. You can use, find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or all those other podcast directories. Or you can go directly to the website and listen to the episode right there. You can find our feedback email link on our website, or you can just send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com. So with that, John, Gary, uh, I hope you can dig yourself out and get some flying in over the next uh, couple weeks. I'm going to be hunkered down, I think, and uh, trying to stay warm over here. All right, buddies. Good talking to you. We'll, we'll see you soon, I hope. Absolutely, Gary, and I am looking forward to getting out there and visiting you next month. Excellent. All right, guys, take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. All right, see you later. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.